Welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. Um, apparently all the worst people are coming to Wisconsin uh, next month. The MAGA Frank rally. Mike Lindell, my pillow guy, is going to have this big rally in Somerset, Wisconsin. And uh, according to at least the promo, he's going to be joined by Diamond and Silk, Dinesh D'Souza, Charlie Kirk, and Sheriff David Clark. So, I mean, what could possibly go wrong? But all of this raises the question once again. What, what happened to Wisconsin? I mean, look, I, I, I know I've talked about this before, and I'm asked about it all the time. What happened to you guys in Wisconsin? We thought you were the rational Republicans. What were you thinking? Uh, how come you didn't see this? Could you explain Mike Gallagher? Can you explain Ron Johnson? What the hell happened with Sheriff David Clark? So I have been looking forward to having this conversation for a long time. Um, because we are joined by my fellow cheesehead, James Wigderson, who is the editor of Right Wisconsin, which is a conservative website, which I actually founded. And then as I was heading off to excommunication, and James, you correct me if, if you have a different version of this story. I basically gifted to James. <laughs> I took the hot potato and I said, James, you take this, you run with it. Good luck. Yeah, that, that's think, pretty much the way you remember it. I think it's it's your problem now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, that was that was sort of my attitude, right? It's your problem now. Now I want to give people a little bit of background about you, James, and you you can fill in the gaps. You have been a conservative commentator in Wisconsin for what well over a decade. What would you put the number at? I'm thinking maybe uh, two, two decades. Yeah, I would say it's it's close to 20 years now. Yeah. And before that, I was an activist in the Republican Party. Uh, I've been a pack horse in Republican affairs since 1992, I think. So I've been a, around the Republican Party in Wisconsin for a long time. You 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 have. And, and I think that for many, many years, uh, you were best known as being the go-to guy about Waukesha politics, crucial Waukesha County. Waukesha County being the beating heart of the Republican Party in Wisconsin. So you were kind of, that was your thing for a while, right? You were kind of Mr. Waukesha. Fair? Yeah, you know, I used to run around to all the little meetings and uh, all the little candidate debates and actually record what was going on and, and uh, comment on them, on, the, on who was running in the primaries and how the primaries were being decided. Uh, the funny thing about Waukesha is, is instead of primaries, we tend to have phone calls, conference calls. And uh, the only time that we have actual primaries is when somebody got skipped on the conference call. And uh, so it's it's been interesting over the years to cover Waukesha politics and especially local politics. And here in the city of Waukesha where uh, things when you when you get down to the basic level it comes down to issues like water and, and garbage collection and things like that and, and the intense fighting over the silly little things but um, it's been a lot of fun over the years just covering what's going on in Waukesha okay I just wanted to establish your credentials there and, and also uh, to just let let people know that Almost every conservative commentator in Wisconsin, talk show host, everybody, has basically had, has been Trumpified. It's been an extraordinary story, with the exception, James, of you. And, and I think that's particularly interesting because you continue to be part of the conservative media. Many of the rest of us have moved on to maybe, you know, more center, center right, center left media. You're still there in the belly of the beast. And I, I got to give you a you know, a, a shout out because you have, 
I don't know whether it, it's safe to say you haven't wavered, but it, it, it seems to be that you're, you've become even more outspoken as time has gone on about the need for the Republican Party to move on from Trump. But, you, but you're pretty much alone there, aren't you? I mean, there are no uh, Trump skeptical talk show hosts anymore, right? I mean, on the right. Yeah, that's that's pretty much vanished. Uh, the closest that you get is uh, Jay Weber on WISN in Milwaukee, who uh, who just yesterday commented that while well, he thinks that Marjorie Taylor Greene is crazy, on the other hand, he loves the way that she gets under people's skin. Uh, see, that's so, the same. That, see, that's the same. Yeah, but she fights. She triggers people. So the theme of this entire conversation, James, and I'm just going to kind of work all this out. Because you know the same people that I know, and, and, and you've known them for years. And so the, the overarching question is, what the fuck happened to, to, to Wisconsin? Um, and now, you know, for example, let me just, just start with, well, I, I suppose that's just the way you, you start. So let's start with crucial Waukesha County. Because to me, Waukesha is the, is the microcosm of the entire Republican Party in Waukesha. And it used to be the best run party. It reflected um, all of the Wisconsin Republicans, I think, distinctive character a few years ago. Uh, they would have had, say, a Paul Ryan coming and speaking. And this last year, the with the Women's Caucus or the Women's Republican Waukesha unit, whatever, has had a, uh, had a dinner and they brought in Michelle Malkin to be the speaker, uh, well-known uh, sort of white nationalist uh, Michelle Malkin who led the crowd in a standing ovation for Kyle Rittenhouse's mom. So in many ways, what's happened to the Republican Party in Wisconsin is really reflected in in Waukesha. Okay, so you've known these people for years, right? You have watched them. What is you, what happened? How did this party that was so resistant to Trump before 2016, how did it become thoroughly Trumpified? Answer that any way you like. <laughs> well, I, I, let's start with, it is, uh, I'll take it one step further. Waukesha was really the engine that drove the Wisconsin mm-hmm. Republican Party. Exactly. When Scott Walker announced that he was running for president, he did it in Waukesha County when he held his uh, recall celebration, the victory in the recall election. He did it in Waukesha County. It gives you an idea of just how important Waukesha County was to the Wisconsin Republican Party. We were the center of the universe. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were used to the TV trucks coming to Wisconsin, to Waukesha County, because we we were that important to the to state politics. Um, what has happened to, I think, to the Waukesha County Republicans is that the party, um, it, to a certain extent, there's been a turnover from the days of of when they were they were on top of the world, and now there's a, an aggrieved party group that looks at it and they see uh, Tony Evers as the governor and they Democrat, yeah. Democrat, uh, and some of them actually bought into a conspiracy theory that that Milwaukee County manufactured enough absentee ballots at the last minute for for Scott Walker to lose that narrow election. Uh, there's uh, a change in the talk radio atmosphere out here uh, where talk radio generally was Trump skeptical in 2016, including you, but that has completely changed. Uh, Now 
people that were Trump skeptical are now completely in the Trump Trumpist camp. Uh, Vicki McKenna, for example, complained in 2016 that Donald Trump hung up on her. Now she's now she's doing uh, interviews with with Donald Trump Jr. And she's hanging out with the Proud Boys, and she's calling the people that stormed the U.S. Capitol political prisoners. So you have a change in the in the conservative media structure around here, and it yeah. just feeds this paranoia. And oh, okay, so so this, I just wanted to you know mention this. So Vicky McKenna, you mentioned her, and she's gone full MAGA, whatever you want to go. I mean, you know, she'll probably have Mike Lindell on her show, but. Um, if you if you read carefully a lot of the stories about uh, Ron Johnson's craziest statements, his craziest conspiracy theories, he will often air them on Vicky McKenna's show. So there's there's kind of a symbiotic relationship there. I don't know whether she's influencing him, he's influencing her, whether they're drinking the same water, whatever. But a lot of the things that you read and hear about Ron Johnson being, uh, you know, a vaccine skeptic, or you know, talking about the January sixth uh, insurrection as you know a peaceful protest, that's that would be on this Vicky McKenna show here in Wisconsin. Okay, go ahead. Right, but Ron Johnson also, whenever he says something too, he goes running to the Jay Weber show as well to try to explain and give his third or fourth, fifth explanation of, for example, what happened at the U.S. Capitol or to explain why we don't need an inquiry. And there's not a one of them that, at this point that uh, have any sort of skepticism about Donald Trump other than maybe wishing that he would go away in the case of Jay Weber, but the other ones, I mean, Mark Belling, it's just, they are feeding that, that whole ecosystem of paranoia that has taken over the Republican party. And so the Waukesha Republican party is airing films of the Mike Lindell uh, conspiracy theory and, it's not a Republican party that I recognize anymore. And the, the local representatives in the state legislature, they used to be what I consider to be rational people. Scott Allen, if you, who's the state rep for this area, is somebody you would normally consider to be a rational person and possibly a moderate. And yet he was one of those people that said that the state legislature should consider overturning this, the 2020 election results. Um, another state rep, Joe Sanfilippo, who my wife has known since the old days on the south side of Milwaukee, yeah. a businessman. Yeah, no, I go way, I go way back with him, yeah. Down-to-earth person, he yeah. and his wife, that you ever want to meet. Yeah. Joe Sanfilippo was leading the charge for the state legislature to overturn the, the, the 2020 presidential election. There... They're in that bubble, and they and they believe that the election was stolen. They believe it. They they, they sincerely believe it. They uh, don't just say they believe it. Yeah, I think they actually believe it. I'm going to take them at their word at this point. See, so you're, what you're describing is not just – it's a feedback loop because you were talking about, you know, the talk show hosts who – look, I mean, I've been there. I, I, I know that – that you know that you know the the, the pressure of, of talking to the base, you know, not getting crosswise with them. Um, it's very difficult to sustain yourself if everybody hates you. So there's a certain extent where they are reflecting the base, but then they feed back this information to the base. So it becomes this this spiraling loop 
Um, and it's really reached critical mass in Waukesha. So here's one of my questions, though. Okay, so mentioning this John Sanfilippo is is kind of a, a good example. He seemed like a rational, reasonable, intelligent guy. Were they always crazy? Or have they become crazy? Did we completely misunderstand who they are? Or have they changed? I think... I, I I tend to think that Trumpism is a symptom and not the disease. And I think this, that when we talk about these people that uh, we used to know, uh, to a certain extent, they hid a lot of these tendencies. They always had a ten. They always kept it well hidden. And Trump is like the atom bomb at that scene in the Beneath the Planet of the Apes. When they're all standing there worshiping the atom bomb and then they rip off their masks and they say, now we reveal our true inner selves. Um, And I I honestly believe that Trump is that atom bomb that has allowed a lot of these people to reveal their true inner selves, that they can be as crazy as they want to be. Janelle Branchon is probably, you know, she would she would have been edgy a few years ago. But she just issued another press. Who is this? Who is this? State Representative Chanel Branch in okay, the right, Miami yeah. Falls area, yeah, yeah. which is a swing area in this right. state to a certain extent. And she would have been, you know, a little bit edgy a few years ago, but now she's out there with yet another press release saying, We're not going away with our investigation of the 2020 presidential election. <laughs> and okay, well, uh, she she may have been crazy all along, and I I wanted to stick with this because I, you're you're probably right about all of this that people don't fundamentally change. On the other hand, I can imagine this alternative reality where these same people, and you know, you and I hung out with these people for years and years and years. I can imagine this Earth 2.0 where they are they they continue to behave like rational, reasonable people. Um, as opposed to going in this direction, because you know, I, I think of all the times that I emceed dinners or rallies or events out there in Waukesha County, and they all kind of blur together. But I never thought that I was looking out on a sea of complete nut jobs. And, and so, okay, maybe that just reflects badly on me. Maybe I just had no freaking clue, you know. But but if Paul Ryan would have been the nominee, these people people would have been rational, reasonable people, right? Well, I think so to the extent that they would have been uh, enthusiastic about Paul Ryan. But now look at how Paul Ryan is treated. Paul Ryan doesn't didn't fight. Some people actually accuse Paul Ryan of being pro-choice on abortion was a comment yeah. that I saw the other day. Uh, Paul Ryan would not get a standing ovation at a Republican event. He'd probably get booed. And uh, I think that's right, by the way. And uh, I just, when I, I look at it and I go, you're the same people just a few years ago that would have been enthusiastic for him. Oh, absolutely. Well, oh, yeah. So, so I'm going to get to Ron John in a moment because this is, this is a hard one. And it's, it's the same question. I'm just asking it about different people. You had a piece yesterday, which I included in my newsletter about the two newest congressmen from Wisconsin. Um, you have Scott Fitzgerald, longtime state senator, leader of the state assembly, uh, leader of the Senate, very, very pragmatic legislator, conservative, but but a reasonable guy. Tom Tiffany, a conservative state senator. They're both now in Congress. They have gone 
really hardcore. Both of them voted to overturn the election right, refused to certify the electoral college votes. And then they put out a, a fundraising letter and just, just, just describe that, uh, how how these two guys, and again, these are people that a few years ago you would have thought of, yeah, pretty mainstream, Republican, pragmatic kind of guys. What are they saying now trying to, you know, sh- shake loose some, some coins from the Republican base? So they actually sent out a fundraising email to their supporters, uh, actually com- saying that President Joe Biden is taking this country on the same path as Venezuela's dictator Hugo Chavez. <laughs> I mean, and they and they started in with the you know the oil pipeline being hacked, and somehow that's Biden's fault, and that's a sign that uh, we're going to have the same energy problems that Venezuela has, and the economy is going to become a command economy like Venezuela's and. And you look at this and you say, you go, gotta be kidding, right? You, right. This, this has to be a joke. It slipped past somebody. But at the same time, deep in your heart, you know it, it didn't slip past somebody. They really, if they wrote this together, they meant it. And like you said, Fitzgerald was probably one of the most pragmatic politicians that, that Madison ever spawned. I mean, he was the, if there was a swamp in Madison, Wisconsin, he was part of it. And uh, you, you just can't imagine now that he's gone to Washington, D.C., that he's gone such full bore crazy. But remember, Fitzgerald was early on the Trump train. He yes, even made choo-choo noise. And there are YouTube videos of him going choo-choo. I mean, I'm well, he, 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 I do remember that, that right after the, the April primary, I mean, after uh, Trump secured the nomination, he, he was one of the very few first uh, Wisconsin Republicans to get on get on board. But the whole Joe Biden is Hugo Chavez and all of these things are responsible. See, I had the same reaction. It's like, it, this is crazy stuff. This is over the top. But I think you're also right. It works. This actually is, again, a reflection of what the Republican base in places like Wisconsin believe and want to hear. This is the kind of hysterical, over-the-top rhetoric that, in fact, does motivate the base and and raises money. So, again, the, the feedback loop continues. You have the hysterical, you know, you know, radical socialists who want to shut down pipelines because they don't want you to ever drive cars and you get more money and the, the grassroots money pours in. People go, well, this is the message that works. Let's let's amplify it and on and on and on. Yeah. And the problem, of course, with this, and you've heard me say this before, Charlie, is that when you start believing the worst about your opponents, it justifies the worst that you can do in response. And when you start telling your supporters that these people are the that the opponents are the worst people in the world, your your supporters eventually start believing it, and that's how you get things like the the riots and at the Capitol, and uh, also it isn't just that, but it's also the the shrugging at at some of the other things. I still go back to the to Trump clearing Lafayette Square which I think was a real moment for me where I just said, wow, this is, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. this has to be the end, right? This has to be, but there is no, no bottom. As you've said many times, the the Republicans will just continue marching on and supporting their leader. And, uh, but 
I, it really wouldn't matter if it was Trump or Cruz or whoever. Yeah, at this and point. I, yeah. think, I, I think they would just all uh, go full in crazy. Okay, so let's put this in some historical context. And, and people should understand that you and I lived through this on a daily basis very intensely. Um, in Wisconsin, we did have a real sharpening of the partisan divisions, uh, particularly after Scott Walker was elected governor. Uh, people will recall that he pushed through Act 10, uh, which w- which limited the collective bargaining rights of uh, collective bargaining power of uh, public sector employees. And that generated this massive uh, demonstration on the Capitol. The government was shut down for a long time. I see that uh, Scott Walker is in the Washington Post today, essentially trying to compare the protests against Act 10 to what happened on January 6th. But this is one of the, the and I'm, I'm, I've been thinking, you know, back on all of this, this really did radicalize um, our politics. You know, we are so evenly divided and politics are so bitter. And that period of time was one where people did begin to think the absolute worst of their opponents. And by the way, I contributed to that. You contributed to that. We were all part of that. We didn't see where it was going. But but that story is is kind of crucial as a, as a backstory for what's happening now to the Republican Party in Wisconsin. Do you agree or disagree with that? Oh, I agree. But there's an, there's an added effect to this. Uh, two years ago, I was at a Christmas party at a mutual friend's uh, business that he was throwing a Christmas party. And uh, I was talking to some members of legislative staff. And what people need to understand in Wisconsin is we've had pretty much a complete turnover of, of members of the legislature since the Act 10 days in, in the takeover of the state capitol. And we have a whole new crop of, of Republican legislature, legislators in there. Uh, I was talking to legislative staff, and they were saying to me that they can't understand that the new legislators are asking them, where is our Act 10? When are we going to have a fight with the Democrats, just like Scott Walker did in, in 2011 and 2012? And hmm. they're not talking about a policy. They're not saying, oh, let's do this. Let's have, for example, universal school choice or something like that. They just wanted that fight. And that's the current crop of legislators. That's right now. that's that is interesting because, yeah. So the, it's just sort of like we want to have the the incandescent fight. Let's fill in the blank what the policy is. The fight is prior to the actual policy. That's interesting. Yeah, let's stick it to them, and let's do it again because the first time apparently was so fun, and the staff members are like. We, we, we remember the first time, and let me tell you, it was not funny at all. It was horrible. <laughs> it was it was it was very stressful. Okay, so let's get to this this question that I'm asked over and over again, and I, I'm and I've gotten to the point, uh, James, where I just say, listen, I just don't know. I I don't know what happened to Ron Johnson. Um, I thought, and I've said this many times, I thought that Ron Johnson was this pragmatic. Um, businessman from Oshkosh who wasn't going to buy into the bullshit of Washington, that he might be uh, a kind of William Proxmire-like maverick on the right. Instead, he's turned into the Ron Johnson that we know. So what's your theory on this, James? Because I've I've worked through a number. So let's let's bounce our theories off with, with my caveat that I just, I honestly do not know what's going on with him right now. I'm going to take Ron Johnson to a certain extent to his word that he believes that Donald Trump 
wasn't given a fair chance when Trump became president. Johnson, Johnson says that every once in a while about how uh, they persecuted Donald Trump from the very beginning. They opposed him from the very beginning. There was no honeymoon, things like that. That said, even, even that, though, doesn't excuse the behavior of Ron Johnson since then. And I can't understand where the, the endorsement of quack cures came from for, for COVID-19. Uh, the uh, bizarre behavior during the whole first impeachment when he basically said he believed Ambassador John Bolton, who said that Trump was, was trying to manipulate uh, Ukraine for personal political gain. And yet Ron Johnson turned right around and said he believed the president. You, know, you can't do both. It doesn't work. But Johnson did. Uh, how he behaved during the second impeachment where he just refused to even attend uh, some of the sessions, uh, just ignored others. It's just, where was this guy that that we knew in 2010 that defeated Russ Feingold by presenting himself as this businessman, this this guy who uh, comes from outside politics? Uh, he's now a creature of politics, along with every last one of them. He he belongs in the Senate. As a senator, that's just a politician. Well, see, this is getting. I keep asking the same question: Was he always like this, or did something change? And and I'm look. There's there's always some residual, you know, thing that was obviously there, but but he has changed. And and I don't know what bubble he fell into. Um, when I first met him, I remember, you know, he'd never run for office again, and you know. Um, came in we, we were chatting and he said i want to just explain who i am and what i believe and he showed me a picture of his nightstand <laughs> and, the, and the picture was of all of the wall street journals stacked up because he, he was a big reader of the wall street journal editorials and a, a couple of other you know conservative books which made it sound like he was kind of a chamber of commerce conservative now i'm just not sure what bubble he's in i mean i understand the phenomenon when you've been attacked a lot there you know one um, inevitable result of that is that people, not, I'm sorry, it's not inevitable. One one consequence of that is that people sometimes uh, dip into paranoia. And he's obviously um, very, very paranoid about the press. Uh, they're out to get him. They think of him as roadkill. So it's clearly gotten under his skin. And so his response to the criticism um, of, of of his conspiracy theories and other you know wackadoodle stuff, you know, is is to lash out. And so I understand that sometimes people will sort of you know go go into that that fetal crouch, that uh, that that defensive crouch. But um, it's still pretty remarkable to watch, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's and it's not just the the press. I mean, he's been lashing out at the press, and obviously. Bashing the press is, is certainly popular easy. with Republicans. Yeah. It's easy for Republicans to do, especially in Wisconsin where you have the journal, Milwaukee Journal Sentinel is the biggest newspaper in the state. Easy to bash them all the time. Um, but when he's talking about the FBI laying conspiracy theory traps for him a year or two in advance, and then they spring it on him it, because he actually says something stupid in response to the news coming out about getting an FBI brief, briefing. And he, when he said that he ignored the FBI briefing, 
And then when he got negative press about it, he said, well, that was a trap, obviously. Well, it, it doesn't work. <laughs> They're not trying to trap you. No, no. You're just in this weird world of paranoia. Well, but the, but and, then the feedback loop, he's in a weird world, but then he'll go on the Vicki McKenna show, you know, a talk radio show here in Wisconsin, and she will validate that and sort of, you know, amp him up even more. So rather than having a reality check of people who he might respect who are saying, Ron, this is crazy stuff, he's actually getting goaded on by, by voices like that. So he, and based on our earlier conversation, this is not making him unpopular with the Republican base. He's probably, if he showed up in Waukesha County, he'd get lots of attaboys, right? He would still get the standing ovation. Paul Ryan would be booed, but Ron Johnson right now, today, tomorrow, would get a standing ovation from the Waukesha Republicans, wouldn't he? Oh, yeah. And people standing in line to pose for photos with him, people encouraging him to run for re-election, people's, you know, the 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 Republican Party base loves Ron Johnson right now. There's no doubt of that in my mind. Will, do you think uh, he will? Run, do you think he will run for re-election? Well, I was just going to get to that. Yeah, what yeah. I think is really interesting is the way he's phrasing the question. He's he's presenting himself as this martyr that is. I'm going to. I will run if I don't think that somebody else could win the election and uh, carry the conservative message. That is the, his latest version of this. I, you know, I'm going to be the holy martyr out there. I will do it if nobody else can do it. And I, when I hear that, I go, you know, you're really not that important in life. I've got news for you. And you're replaceable. In fact, you'd be better off. We would all be better off if you were replaced. Um, so if, if he does step aside, though, the Republican primary to replace him would be probably Trump light versus Trump all the way in. Right. I mean, it would be that kind of a primary we're seeing all around the country. Oh, it'd be more than that. It'd be uh, we saw that a couple of years ago when we had a U.S. Senate primary on the Republican side where Kevin Nicholson, uh, businessman, ex-Marine, uh, took on. State Senator Leah Vukner on the Republican side, and the two of them went at it. Who was more pro-Trump? Who could be the most Trump-like candidate? Uh, and it, it, that race got really ugly. And I think you will see that again. I think Kevin Nicholson will run again, and he will he will be out there. And this time he'll be super Trump. He'll be super Trump, and he'll you know he'll be out there saying you know. I can be more Trump than Trump if you want me to. And uh, anybody else that jumps into the race against him is going to have to compete against that. Who, who, would that. who would that likely be? Mike Gallagher? I think Mike Gallagher was a possibility. I just I don't think that the Trump supporters in this state trust him because of past things that Mike Gallagher has said about Donald Trump. Uh, so I, I, I don't understand Gallagher's strategy right now. Of well, I, I do. I mean, he's 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 trying he's trying to win back uh, MAGA world support and making a fool of himself by doing it, backing off from his comments about January 6th. So so he's clear. I'm watching him thinking he's positioning himself for a primary. But your argument is, is that he won't he won't be pure enough for the hardcore base. No, everything that he's ever said about Trump that was critical or any time that he voted, he voted against the uh, uh the Trump's emergency order, for example, to send uh, uh, resources to the to the border to build the wall. 
uh, Gallagher was opposed to that. And I think that that is going to be something that's going to be held against them. Uh, the other option is, is maybe Tiffany might run against. I, I could see that. I could see Sean Duffy coming back. Uh, Congressman Sean Duffy, who, who was doing the mm-hmm. media for a while, being a, a Trump surrogate and on national television. And his wife is now a host of one of the weekend Fox shows, uh, Rachel Campos Duffy. You know, I I could totally see Sean Duffy coming back and running uh, the most Trump campaign that you've ever seen. And Duffy would have the advantage. He's from the North Woods. That's that's Trump territory in Wisconsin, uh, the rural rural North. So, I think that that uh, gives him an advantage. Plus, he's a former congressman, uh, well liked, telegenic. I, I would say that uh, dumb. <laughs> well, he's not the brightest uh, light bulb out there. I will grant you that. And uh, he has said plenty of dumb things, but the dumb things that he has said are the ones that endear him the most. With exactly. The See, yeah, yeah that, there's, there's no downside to dumb. That's the other thing. So just, just a, I know we're getting inside baseball for people because we're naming names, but, you know, you, you reminded me of, of that primary, that U.S. Senate primary last time around uh, between Kevin Nicholson, who got like, what, $12 million check from uh, right-wing donor um, – Eline, Eline, yeah. Eline. Um, and he ran against Leah Vukmir, who you and I have known for years and years and years, right? I mean, we've known Leah for a very long time. One of those reasonable Republicans who decided that she had to become Trump. What was remarkable for me, because as I knew Leah really well, she was a regular guest on my show, was that she was completely anti-Trump. Uh, throughout the the 2016 election. In fact, they used sound bites, videos from her appearance on my show to say that she wasn't sufficiently tr- pro Trumpist, but she tried to remake herself. And in another, you know, a, this is again is, is watching this transformation. I've also been struck, speaking of people we've known for a long time. Do you remember when Scott Walker was uh, so anti-Trump when he dropped out of the presidential race himself? He urged other people to get out of the race so they could block Trump encourage speculation that he might actually uh, mount a challenge to Trump, even like in the run up to the convention, um, strongly opposed Trump in the Wisconsin primary here. Trump insulted him over and over and over again. Um, and yet he has become thoroughly Trumpified and apparently is deciding to make the Young America's Foundation also thoroughly Trumpified. Yeah, Scott Walker, uh, I've known Scott going back to the days when we were both members of the college Republicans. He was at Marquette. Mm-hmm. I was at UW-Milwaukee. I mean, yeah, I wish I could talk to that kid again <laughs> <laughs> because I remember somebody who was, who was just a little bit cynical, a little bit, you know, and confronted with the true believers when it went, you know, let's, let's calm that down a little bit. Um, he was a... Uh, and he ran, despite his reputation because of Act 10, he ran a very pragmatic administration in Madison. Uh, there weren't too many radical innovations. They were, they were well-paced. Um, I don't, in the grand scheme of things, I don't think of Scott Walker as one of the most radical people that ever walked the face of the earth. And yet, and yet, um, just the other day, he was talking about how the, the Trump investigation in New York 
was an attempt to distract from the feelings of the Biden administration. And I called him out on Twitter and I said, let me get this straight. An investigation that was begun when Trump was still president in New York is somehow designed to distract from what's going on with the, with the Biden administration now. That is some conspiracy. <laughs> but again, you and I have talked about this. It plays to the base. The base loves it. They want to believe that all this stuff is meant to distract from what's going on in the Biden administration. They want to believe that none of this could possibly be true about Donald Trump because obviously it's all a media creation. Yeah, and there's a little bit of backstory there um, that that Walker himself was subject to an invest a long running investigation by Democratic DAs um, into campaign finance violations, which there was a lot of you know overplaying of the hands. But that that contributed, I think, to the partisan polarization and the embittered nature of politics. And you know, when I when I when I see him commenting on some of the investigations into Trump, I get the sense that he's projecting his own experience. Um, about the investigations into um, his campaign and his activities. Well, and you see that here in Wisconsin among the among the Republican base too. You know, we, they remember the investigations into Scott Walker, and they project onto that the the Trump investigations. And you'll hear them say, "Oh, it's just John Doe all over again." Yeah. By the way, John John Doe for people who are not from Wisconsin, that's what we call these sort of secret grand jury like investigations. They're called John Doe investigations. That's just the term that we use. And there were the, this ongoing investigation into whether or not his campaign had coordinated with another group, and it was, it was, it was. It, look, even in retrospect, it was really blown way, way, way out of proportion. Um, but it it uh, it it did solidify support and that that sort of you know tribal partisanship because a lot of the support for Walker was that pushback against the attacks on him, which we also see with Trump, don't we? This is that the the more the attacks on Trump, the more he's impeached, the harder the support from the base becomes because he's our guy and they're trying to destroy him. We kind of went through that in Wisconsin, which again I get I get the 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 echo of some of that that backstory with what's happening with the Republican Party in Wisconsin now. Right. Yeah, I, I do think that there's a certain extent with the, with the, with talk radio and, and others that uh, they, they want to have that narrative again, because it was an easy narrative for them to, to tell, right. It was, a, it was a great story. Uh, our guy is being unjustly investigated, unjustly persecuted, and uh, we had that story once in Wisconsin, and now we can tell that story over and over again. Regard- and we'll just insert the name here, who the our guy is. And uh, it, it becomes very easy for them to, to tell that story again. And with Trump, you know, there's certainly going to be enough investigations. Uh, so we have the that narrative. And I think that's why a lot of the Republican base is, in Wisconsin is so willing to dismiss the idea of a January 6th commission is because they see it as just one more invest- partisan investigation. Okay. Th- this is this is in the category of what a small world it is. So, of course, I was involved in talking about that as well when I was on the radio. Um, one of the big moments in pushing back against that investigation to Scott Walker was a, a, a comprehensive article in National Review magazine written by David French, who described an early morning pre-dawn raid 
on the homes of some conservative activists who with close ties to, to Scott Walker. So David French was very intensely involved in that issue as well. Of course, one of the leading never Trumpers as as well. Everything always comes back to Wisconsin. Okay, so y- you know what 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 subject I've I've avoided talking about until now? It's kind of the the big elephant there. No, I, every once in a while I play the game like, what's the worst thing you've ever done? And and it's it's there's it's target rich environment. <laughs> <laughs> for me, the worst thing. But um, I, I, I've told this story before, so I apologize for telling it again. But, you know, this is like an old guy thing where we were at this event and people were going around the table talking about like the, the most disappointing person that they'd ever done, you know, they, they'd ever worked with. Um, and people would say, well, I'm responsible for the rise of this person or I'm responsible or I hired this person for their first job or, or I wrote a blurb for this person's book. You know, so it was kind of a, a competition who who has the worst um, you know the, the worst moment in their past in terms of what's happened now? And I said, hey guys, I, I don't want to spoil this, but I'm going to win this. I'm going to win it hands down because my answer is Sheriff David Clark. And everybody threw up their hands and said, okay, you win. Absolutely, that's what the fuck happened to Clark. I mean, Clark was always a little bit on the edge, a little bit arrogant, but he went complete freaking nut job. All right. Well, here I get to say I told you so. <laughs> you know, I think that's true. Okay, go, go on. Yeah, uh, have know, me. I, I have no defense. I'm not going to push back. Go uh, on. I was one of the first people to come out on the right and say, there's there's something wrong with this guy. Um, but Clark was it was kind of the canary in the coal mine, even yeah. when he was sheriff. He, he, why did people like David Clark? Because he was picking a fight with the Milwaukee County executive, Chris Abley, a big time Democrat, right. son of a billionaire, everything that, that Republicans can dislike about elite Democrats was embodied in Chris Abley, a child of privilege. Uh, you know, just one of those guys that just his mere existence rubs working class Republicans the wrong way. I mean, got out of speeding tickets the whole bet. Yeah. In fact, the joke was he had enough scandals that when he got elected, it should have been the end of his political career, not the beginning. Um, And David Clark and Chris Abley went at it. And David Clark then embraced the whole Second Amendment thing. Yeah, the gun Uh, thing. Remember Mike Bloomberg came in, tried to get him defeated, you know, spent a quarter of a million dollars here. So Mike Bloomberg comes in, spends that money, and that just makes David Clark a hero again. Even though that David Clark early in his career was in favor of gun control, suddenly David Clark is now a Second Amendment hero, and uh, David Clark is calling people names. He was doing it before Trump was doing it. He was in just on the attack, and we were, we went to that uh, right Wisconsin had a dinner at that time when you were still running it, mm-hmm. and. David Clark was standing in the back of the room and there was a line of people to get his autograph and get photographed with him. Oh yeah. And and I remember that. And I just remember thinking to myself, this is insane. Nobody should be that popular who is just a Milwaukee County sheriff, but because he fought, right. He was a fighter and he still is a fighter. And the nuttier things that he says 
the more people love him. And so he still gets yeah, I think I think he's burned. I, I, I think he blew himself up. I mean, he's 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 not on Fox anymore, Fox News anymore. He he seems to be kind of treated like a pariah. I mean, he's popular in that hardcore base. But okay, well, um, nationally, but here in Wisconsin, he still gets a guest still gets guest gigs on WISN radio. Oh, still, uh, yeah, he's still he's doing that Republican event uh, with all the other nuts that are coming to Wisconsin. The, the he shows up with the Proud Boys. He he's he's aligned himself with the Proud Boys. Yeah, he actually wants people to join the Proud Boys. He he, he speaks to and tells people that they should join the Proud Boys. Uh, he uses them at their event at his events. I mean, he would still be a popular figure at any Republican dinner in the state. And I, and I see that, and I go, that's what's wrong with the Republican Party is that they will celebrate guys like him, but they will boo guys like Paul Ryan. Yeah, I, no, I completely agree. I, I think one of the 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 the, the turning points for him was that uh, primary where uh, Michael Bloomberg failed to defeat him and he, he became a national figure. And I think when he became a national figure, you know, all all the guardrails were off. Every every restraint was was off with this guy. So you said you told me so. Um, you told us so. What what was what was your the moment where you said this? Was it they when you saw the line of people or was it something he said or did? I think what it what it it came down to something as mundane as as a budget battle between him and Abley. He was asking for more money, and Abley yeah. was pointing out that uh, it's that he couldn't even control his own budget, That's and yet true. he was talking about being a fiscal conservative. <laughs> and I remember well, thinking they, at the time, you know, you, you could get rid of his job. <laughs> well, well, you could, and the thing about the thing about Clark was that he was tough on crime, but it began morphing into this cruelty for cruelty's sake, and you know the scandals that that eventually I think you know were were, were reaching a, a peak right by the time he abruptly resigned were about the cruelty in the in the jail people who had died of you know not having enough water w- pregnant women who were shackled while they were giving birth and and he began to celebrate that that cruelty as as if somehow that 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 was a sign of of toughness so he he sort of morphed into that part of trumpianism very very clearly and i think the one thing that that probably i had averted my eyes to for a long time was the fact that he was he was really shitty at his job. He never actually did anything. Uh, he posed uh, as a, as a you know chief law enforcement officer when in fact he had very very little to do with actual day to day law enforcement. Was was a terrible manager. The people who worked under him hated him and were constantly saying and and we constantly write emails about what a lousy leader he was, what an arrogant prick he was, and you know it was like eh, you know. And I look back on that and go, all of this should have been a should have been a tell. All of this should have been an indication. But when he became that national star, it's that vortex of uh, all of the incentives are for the crazy. The more extreme that he would become, the more likely he would be booked, the more clicks he would get. And this was like a drug. This was like, you know, somebody who had had a, you know, drinking problem who was suddenly, you know, taken off to the big city with the bright lights and fed an unending dose of crack and heroin uh, in terms of the hits. And I think that's where where he went on all of that stuff that, uh, you know, when he started to realize that he could become this right wing star by saying the most incendiary things, um, he was he was gone and he's become among the worst of the worst. And so there, well, think, there it is. Yeah. Think about though what happened when the, the deaths started 
being reported in, in the county jail under his watch. The conservative media just leaped to his defense. Uh, yeah, the I remember that. Talk radio said, you know, you can't hold them accountable for these things. These things happen in a jail. Matt Kittle, who who is a local conservative writer and uh, also talk show host fill-in, uh, Matt Kittle immediately started jumping to, to Sheriff Clark's defense. There was a lot of that going on, and that should have been a warning to us that that. Well, that was I was I was gone I was gone by then. Um, that's about the time that he that he blocked me on Twitter. You know, after twenty years, <laughs> it was like because I kept saying things like maybe you should show up and do your job, or like God, you really need to do something about this. So this is wrong. Whatever it was, um, that was uh, we had. I think we had become considerably estranged by then. But if that wasn't the breaking point, I don't know what was. But you're right. So here's the dynamic of the right wing media here in Wisconsin is they reflexively defended the indefensible incompetence and cruelty of David Clark. And you mentioned Matt Kittle. I know this is inside baseball, but I still remember that they actually wrote a story um, you know, about the guy that died of um, of dehydration because they didn't give him any water. He was mentally ill and he was in the jail. The Matt Kittle actually wrote a thing saying, what the media won't tell you is they threw in bottles of water into his cell, which was completely false. It was just not true. So they would accept the spin, but this is the dynamic that a guy like Clark or somebody like Ron Johnson will run to the conservative media here, um, and they will get, they will be defended, and and they will be reinforced in whatever they're doing, even if it's crazy, because apparently nobody's going to say, guys, I'm with you on X, Y, and Z, but you can't go to this total nut job crazy stuff. So again, that feedback loop gets worse and worse. Well, and we talk about that feedback loop. One of the things that I've experienced at Right Wisconsin is that if I link to, for example, the New York Times or yep. John Nichols' piece the other day about about Mike Gallagher, uh, I get criticized not for what I wrote, but the mere fact that I dared to touch these other yep. sources of information, that I am bringing stuff into the conservative bubble. And yep. Exactly. I'm kind of thinking upon myself, we talked about, you know, how kind of lonely here in the conservative movement, uh, but I've kind of taken it upon myself to start just bringing that stuff into the conservative bubble just so people are exposed to it because they don't want to go out of their way to expose themselves to it. So it's a little do you think bit. That's, uh, do you think that's working? Because I've 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 tried that too, and I know exactly what you're talking about. Where it, it's not that they will address the the argument or the facts uh, or the logic. It's just that well, it, if it comes from X, then you know, then obviously I'm not going to pay I'm not going to pay attention to it. if it was on you know NBC, the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, because those are all liberal rags. So I don't want something from outside my alternative reality bubble here. Yeah, I don't know if it's working or not. <laughs> I really don't. Uh, judging from my emails, I either get emails from people that say, "I'm glad you're doing what you're doing and keep it up," but these are the, these are from people that have retained their sanity over time. And uh, then the other emails that I get are the, uh, "Why are you like Charlie Sykes? Why why are you criticizing Republicans? Don't you ever have anything nice to say about Republicans?" Which is funny because I write stuff about you do. 
all the time <laughs> and, and say, being, being, they're doing it. I criticize the Democrats for the bad things that they're doing. But that doesn't matter because what, what matters is at that moment, I'm not fighting on behalf of their guy. Well, being on the Bulwark podcast today is going to do wonders for your reputation back with the with the, with the republic with the Republican base back there. So you, you still consider yourself a conservative? You run a website called Right Wisconsin because I named it Right Wisconsin, but but you you are, you are still part of that movement, um, you know, even though you have been outspokenly anti-Trumpist. Correct? You uh, are still a conservative. I still believe that I'm a conservative. I am a Buckleyite conservative. I, I, I uh, cut my teeth on Nash during you. Uh, one of my child's first words was, was Buckley. Uh, I came out of the Jack Kemp tradition. That's not I, creepy at all. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, I, I just, I, I, you know, I will consider myself a conservative because I believe in what that conservative movement at least used to mean. And uh, I believe that the first responsibility of any conservative is to preserve and defend the, the constitutional order. And uh, yeah, I'm not sure what that makes you anymore. Yeah. Yeah, that is no longer the case with, with, the, with the Republican party. And that is the, the base of my criticism of, of, with the Republican party. It's a fundamental disagreement, but you know, I, I look at it as the same way I look at it as being Catholic. Uh, I'm a Catholic. I'm a traditional Catholic. I go to a Latin mass. I see it as both apart from the world and part of the world. And being a conservative is both apart from the Republican party and the whole right wing movement and yeah, it's still it's still there, <laughs> and and uh, it's still there. Yeah, yeah. It's, it will it will survive. Perhaps even this. Who knows? James Wigerson, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And I really look forward to this. Uh, James Wigerson is the editor of Right Wisconsin, which you can find online. So, James, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me on, Charlie. And thank you all for listening to today's Bulwark podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back tomorrow, and we will do this all over again.